because, because I'm a hot I'm girl. A hot, I'm girl. A girl. I do hot shit. Because I'm a hot girl. the damnest time trying to find a vaccine and I was just like I would get anxiety every time someone would text me about it they'd be like hey I found openings like oh there's appointments here because every time I would click on whatever they sent me I wasn't able to get it mm-hmm. in time and I was just having breakdown after breakdown after every time this happened to me and it would be like multiple times a day and I would just be like crippled with anxiety and just so frustrated and I finally after making like a lot of like a big ass like post about it on Twitter, where I was just like venting my frustration about it. Like I finally got a vac, a, like a appointment for Tuesday for my first dose. Mm-hmm. Yesy, hey. What up? Hey. hey. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I was just telling Amber about um getting my vaccine appointment, my first vaccine appointment finally, and how relieved yeah. I was. So have y'all been vaccinated yet? I'm half vaxxed. I'm Ooh, half vaxxed vax- too. <laughs> You're yeah, in the sweet yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I got my next one. Uh I got my next one next uh Friday. Oh, cool. And then I heard that like you can take PTO and it's like the state pays for it, uh for COVID after effects wow. in California. So like wait, maybe I shouldn't say my my, my diabolical plan, but <laughs> Oh, oh, Maybe. We, we can leave this out. This is a Patreon yeah. only episode. <laughs> boss, don't, boss don't listen right now, but uh, my plan is to say boss, it's on Wednesday. Yeah, keep scrolling, boss. <laughs> boss, please, please mute. <laughs> like, my friend told me about it, and he was like, you can do this. You can lie. You can do this. You deserve it. Like, and I was just like, oh, the stage just has this boot on my neck right now. I feel yeah. like I can't do it. But I'm gonna try. Boss, don't listen. I'm gonna do it. No, people were telling me to lie about the vaccine application, and I was like, it feels really wrong to do that, but I'm also crippled by anxiety. And it's like, I'm glad that I didn't have to lie in the end, but I was like, I was just lying to get on waiting lists at, mm. like, at one point. It was like a weird, like, ethical quandary that I was in. I was like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm having, I can't even be a person right now because of my anxiety about not having a vaccine. And technically, I am like, I work in a restaurant in that it serves food and people are yeah. maskless around me all day. Like, I am in oh, a high okay. risk position. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a stripper, but like, I'm a high risk stripper. <laughs> yeah, high risk stripper. Yeah, <laughs> for all the different, for way different reasons. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, but I'm glad that I didn't have to live because the you know appointments opened up for me. So, mm-hmm. good. Yo, are y'all recording right now? I'm just recording on Streamyard, but we can also go ahead and click record okay. on Audacity. I came in all hot, all kinds of hot. So yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> That's the beginning of the episode. okay and uh if that was an indication to start the show that was a great entrance yesi by the way that was good we should (laughs) we should open up every show like that it's like hey hey, hey." (laughs) just running in like hey guys (laughs) i was almost like expecting you to have like a baby on your hip like hey (laughs) well i was a shout out to our um content producing comrade kenzo is just hanging out with kenzo right now so got me loose (laughs) 
Oh yeah, we love Kenzo. And also with us is our guest for today, and that is Amber Delgado. Hi, Amber. Hello. I'm so happy to be talking to y'all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a good conversation. I'm very excited. I so Amber, I read your article called Curated Tolerance, and it was all about the aesthetics of gentrification. And I was just like really, really tapped into the concepts you were talking about. You really articulated so many things I had been feeling about development and gentrification and colonization, you know, as I'm going through neighborhoods in Atlanta where I live, which is like, you know, one of the, has one of the largest like wealth disparities in the country. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking about that article and it, like, I was just so happy that we got to talk to you because you really were illuminating some concepts that I think not a lot of people are aware of when they're looking at these new, you know, structures in their neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah. And also just thinking about how how uniform it is. Right. Like this is a very intentional push to create a space that is not for people of color and it is coded deeply into the like literal design, which is right. something like I, I kind of I don't know why I thought this, but I kind of just was like, oh, like this is a San Diego thing. This is how San Diego architecture looks like shit. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just, this looks bad. But I didn't realize that it had, like, well, I don't know, like, Amber, like, talk to us about it, because, like. Yeah, um, the packaged look of it is so wild to think about, and it's something that I didn't know was really occurring everywhere either until, like, about two years ago. I was doing some traveling. I went to New York for, like, a conference for school, and then I was in Boston visiting my aunt and I was just seeing the same strip of of like shops, like I mentioned in the essay, like uh, yoga studios and then acai bowl places. And then coming after both of those trips, like returning to Durham, North Carolina and seeing the same things, that's kind of what got the wheels turning of like, oh, like there is like an intentionality behind making this a package thing that's Mm -hmm. happening everywhere. And it's really like expanding into rural areas as well. Because even when I would uh, go back home to Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is like way smaller than Durham, but is also gentrifying and expanding as well and becoming a bigger city. um, Yeah, I I realized like it's not just major cities. It's also extending everywhere. And I talk about it kind of being like amenities (laughs) of, of gentrified space. And that's really... I think the best way to look at it is like, yeah, making your own playground <laughs> for for gentrifiers and mm-hmm. they all enjoy the same thing. And the uniformity of it is like, so speaks to like how capitalism isn't creative at all <laughs> and stifles yeah. creativity, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you started this project also called Curated Tolerance. Um, so mm-hmm. it's the IG and then you have a content creation element, which is on Patreon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so when you started the IG, when the Instagram account, what were the kind of submissions you were getting and, and, and how did, I guess, how did it make you feel or what did it make you think when you started seeing people submitting stuff? Yeah, um, I started getting submissions from some people in California, actually, uh, like Sacramento and San Diego. The, the submissions have kind of slowed down, sadly. <laughs> um, and also some submissions from Brooklyn, but in the beginning, it was a lot of like protests are in response to gentrification. Uh, so like wheat paste and 
graffiti and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think the uniformity of it and like how it's like happening everywhere and looking the same, like also it made me realize that a lot of people are pushing back and speaking out against it in different ways as well across the country. Yeah, definitely. There's, there is like an eerie sort of feeling when you're going through um, an area that's being heavily gentrified. It's very spooky because it feels very similar even when you're in totally different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Like it <laughs> feel like, you know, you're in a different neighborhood. The colors are slightly different. Mm -hmm. The facades are slightly different. Maybe you're in like an industrial district. So that's the like the theme. But the dark spirit underlying it is, is yeah. like present in every neighborhood like that, right? Yes, it's so true. Another thing too I've been thinking about recently, like having moved to Minneapolis is and being around more apartment complexes is like the names of apart like gentrified apartments are always so funny to me. There's one like down the street from me called the Julia. And I just, I just <laughs> <laughs> the ambiguity, like it's so pretentious. The Julia. Okay. Yeah. Somebody's been watching too much Bridgerton. <laughs> Oh, the yeah. Julia. <laughs> Sorry. I love that the Julia. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, like even down to the naming, it's so, it just doesn't feel natural or normal. Like it just yeah. intentionally feels pretentious. I, I want to like riff on both Amber, both your essay that that's in Scalawag Mag and then, and then also something that Rara just said, the like darkness right the insidiousness so we're, we talk about you know because we're we're leftists we talk about the material impact of um of gentrification right like the displacement and mm -hmm. you know rising rents and all of that but one of the things that you really hone in on is the um the cultural and psychological aspect um, by focusing on the aesthetics of gentrification you really you really highlight how how like psychologically damaging it is to see these spaces to see these like types of buildings yeah yeah there's um there's so much to be said about that and it's just like a, a re it's like the enforcement of white supremacy playing itself mm -hmm. out by saying like this space isn't for you and, and and it really just it plays out disposability that's the mm -hmm. material aspect of it of like Yes, your lineage, like your whole family history is in this one space, but fuck that. <laughs> like, because wealthier people's lives and ambitions matter more than family histories. The disposability also plays out in just how unsafe it is to be in gentrified space. Like when we talk about like the insidious nature of it, part of that is like the surveillance that comes along with quote unquote revitalization. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think of like, you know, neighborhood watch groups and how they have like apps and, and just <laughs> in their own like neighborhood chats. Oh, like next door. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, I forgot uh, what it was called. Even that and just like this space for people to like enact surveillance and say like, oh, mm -hmm. there's black people in our presence that automatically like should be associ associated with criminality to some extent. Like it's, yeah, there's so much to <laughs> unpack there. 
can I can I tell a little like okay so like this is a trash TV thing but it's related okay okay I spend a lot of fucking time watching HGTV those kind or Discovery TV like those kind of home improvement shows mm-hmm. and there's like you know in the I would say like in the mid aughts it was real popular to have a show like a, a show about flipping right there's like flip or flop there's like yeah. um, all these different ones right there's a there's a whole bunch of them right. And, you know, it was about, like, value um, and getting money for the the flipper and, like, oh, no, we're supposed to sympathize when something goes wrong, right? Okay. And, like, that's all, an obviously, like, blatant illustration of gentrification. But then in the later, like, in the last, I would say in the last, like, four or five years, uh, there's been a new kind of show coming up, right? So there's, like, okay, and, and I want to say, like, I fucking love this show, right? Like, you know, <laughs> but I fucking love it. Um, there's Hometown, right? And and then there's Good Bones. And then there's, you know, there's all these different shows that are like their whole premise is like, we're the kinder, gentler gentrifiers. Like we just want <laughs> it's it's the language of revitalization, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. the language of like we want to this former narrative of glory, right? Like, yeah. you know, I and, and again, like I watch them, my partner and I watch them because like we don't own shit. We don't have shit, right? And so it feels aspirational to be like, wow, like, well, maybe we could do, you know, maybe we could own something like that. But really what's happening is these quote unquote revitalizations are like displacing people, you know? Yeah. And and even when they do like special like quote unquote charity episodes, it's always like this like weird merit-based thing where it's like, okay, you're someone who lived in this community, but we, we deem you worthy to have a home in your community where you grew up, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's looking at your work, Amber, is just like made me be like, fuck, like you got to be aware of how like the culture of quote unquote revitalization of gentrification like seeps in like you yeah. you have to. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know those shows uh, existed. I want to check them out out of curiosity. Yeah, it's 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 just so weird because like in the early aughts and the early 2000s, the whole thing was like was real obvious real blatant like we're trying yeah. to take this property and like flip it for money like this mm-hmm. is a money grab right but mm-hmm. now it's got this level of moralism right yeah. it's like yes you know what i mean yeah. it's like that liberal that liberal attachment to consumerism that it's like i can buy my way out of like racial and like i can yeah. buy my way out of like being complicit in white supremacy yeah. or yeah. or in displacing poor people you know or yeah. in like perpetuating like racist policies that like led to like Breonna Taylor's death. Mm-hmm. Like it's their way of excusing themselves by being like, but there's like a black owned business across the street and yeah. like we eat vegan and da 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 da. Right. And it's like, it just, it all just feels so individualized and so not making any impact whatsoever on the actual systems that lead to this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So shortly after the essay was published, I stumbled upon a Reddit thread that was like in response to my essay and I mistakenly read it. I really shouldn't have, but it was uh, just like really tearing it apart. And I think this person was like a developer or studied urban planning or something like that. And they were like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, <laughs> and then their powers for evil, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then somebody responded like, well, I worked really hard to own my home. Like, how is somebody going to tell me that I shouldn't buy a house if I can afford it or something like that? And it's just like, that's typically the response whenever there's a critique of like these 
quote unquote revitalized spaces is like, well, I earned this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but there's still like power in that. You know, and let's yeah, talk about but also that. The, <laughs> these aren't these aren't like these aren't cute little quaint homes. Like these yeah. are luxury. Like exactly. it's like I could afford. It's what I could afford. It's like right. if, you, if you could afford that, you could afford somewhere different. That's not mm-hmm. being you know gentrifying yeah. the whole fucking place. Exactly. Yeah. That's such a like that, that is such a rich person fucking yeah. like logic move. Yeah, nobody wants to really like <laughs> unpack that. And then yeah. as, as, instead, like you're saying, Yessie, like it, it goes into like moralizing as a means of justification mm-hmm. <laughs> of like, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it the correct way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so therefore, like it, it should allow me entry if I do it in a way that's like respectable. But really, I'm being mindful of gentrifying <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of that kind of reminds me of something like one of the um, sections of of your your piece in Scalawag, um, the the whole thing about affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that shit blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. So just thinking about how, uh, yeah, like liberalism and sloganeering and affordable housing, like by like becoming a part of that. Um, Durham was a prime example of like passing like two years ago, maybe three years ago now, this $95 million affordable housing bond. But what's happening in a lot of places is they're call it like giving money towards affordable housing, but intentionally setting like the median income not proportionate to like what mm-hmm. actually is the medium income of the cities through this process of like sectioning off what what counties qualify as a median income. So in Durham, they were not only including Durham County, but also including Orange County, uh, which is Chapel Hill, which is, you know, where UNC Chapel Hill is and a lot of professors yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> live in Orange County. So that, you know, skewed. And then a lot of um, techie gentrifiers, which is what's happening a lot in the South is like yeah. a lot of the gentrification or people that are moving in are people from the West Coast uh, doing startups and stuff like that. That skewed the median income to not be proportionate to what, like I'm saying, what it actually is. But it's not thought of deeply or given any further like inquiry as to like, is this going to actually be affordable to those who are most vulnerable right now? Mm-hmm. And that's intentional too, that nobody's giving a fuck to double check of like, so <laughs> who's actually getting this affordable housing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is it actually, who is it, who is it affordable to? So yeah, I mean, I think that that's another tool, like we're saying, of to like justify this process as a means of like posturing but not really ensuring housing for people that need it the most. Absolutely. Um, there was a little a blurb in the uh, curated tolerance that I was reading and I was just wanting to know more about. In the passage here, it says, within the aesthetics of gentrification, as within corporate spaces, inclusionary symbols, symbols are perceived as adequate salve to correct historical and present inequities. Can you um, give some examples of inclusionary symbols that are used around gentrified neighborhoods? Yeah, yeah, I I talk about that a little bit earlier on too, and just like the goal isn't to like completely purge difference or like uh, representations of like otherness Mm -hmm. from gentrified spaces because there's social and cultural capital 
by having proximity to like what once was, or, or I use the example of like knowing where the best Mexican restaurant in town is, you know, that that's quote unquote mm -hmm. authentic and meets this like criteria of authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, yeah, nothing's ever going to completely be disposed of because like I'm saying, there's this liberalism like needs this uh, validation via proximity to an other. And I think about that also in terms of, um, I think I get into this a little bit later, but just like, and a lot of people on Twitter have talked about this, like gentrifiers loving Black Lives Matter signs and like having them in their windows of their luxury apartments or in their yards. And Oh, Atlanta <laughs> loves doing that. Yeah. I love that shit in Atlanta. It's like Black Lives yeah. Matter, then Biden and Harris signs, then Awesome mm -hmm. and Warnock signs. You're just like, oh. <laughs> Oh, gross. <laughs> that yeah. is not it. That's yeah. not it. Like, and it's in like and it's in like one of these neighborhoods where it's like everyone lives at the top of the hill somehow. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. very weird stuff. Very yeah. weird. Looking down upon everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I support you. Just stay over there, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Rara, thanks for bringing that up. And Amber, thanks for like kind of explaining it because like that is such like this this concept of authenticity mm -hmm. um but creates communities of it, it, it places communities of color in a position of rather than subjectivity objectivity right yeah. like they're mm. we're we're now tokens like having good authentic mexican food or having you know authentic jamaican food or having mm -hmm. you know knowing knowing where like how to consume the the pre-existing culture um in a way that is still palatable because it's consumption right it's not yes. it's not it's not engagement. It's con it's literal consumption from like food yeah. to like the grocer, right? Like you know, like yeah. when or a or a fruteria or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is the depth of insidiousness is so like it's gnarly. Like when you start to like push out the constellation and kind of roll it all out and unpack it, you're just like, damn. Like I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about the concept of curated tolerance within the context of. Um, Debord's society of the spectacle, uh, society, you know, society becoming the spectacle and everything. And yeah. I was like, what is a better example of that than an, a super heavily like gentrified area in like an, in, like a, the milk district or something where it's like, yeah, like every business has a Black Lives Matter sign in the front and it's really like multicultural, uh, uh, you know, uh, when you're walking down the street, it's a mix mixture of white and black and and Lat Latinidad and like uh, and there's like an authentic Mexican place across the street and it's like it is creating this false reality, this reality that most of us cannot hope to ever achieve. It is it it's making it seem like it's just available to us if we can just afford it, and it's mm. like it's such a false promise of. Let that life. But the thing is, is like, I feel like people that are on the outside of that, they are very acutely aware of it, which is why it's so frustrating. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's so frustrating to see people swallowed up into it. Also, just like accepting gentrification and actually defending it. You know that there's like, weirdos out there defending this shit, like yeah. that, don't, that don't even live there. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Like, I've been thinking about um, spectacle as well. And, and also, like, this point, Yessi, of, like, consumption. But I think 
being a marginalized person in a gentrifying city is like both being consumed and also like experiencing subjectivity like through the the very like structure or the forces that enact displacement it's so strange like and i i just think about that a lot of um like in terms of of black lives matter like mm-hmm. and and like i'm saying the signs like i was at a co-op two weeks ago that's in like a gentrified part of Minneapolis and I saw that they were selling Black Lives Matter signs like in the co-op and I, it just did not sit right with me like the fact that's weird. that yeah. you can get your groceries and then buy this like symbol of that's supposed know, to be like a revolution <laughs> and liberation yeah yeah, yeah that's Jesus <laughs> You know, like far be it for me to like stop people from getting like liberal guilt money. But like at the same time, it's like it feels kind of gross. It it feels kind of gross to just see it everywhere as like a gimmick. And it's kind of like how they made, you know, justice for Breonna Taylor a gimmick and made her a meme. And that never sat right with me that that was happening so much, especially with Mm -hmm. her for some reason, like arrest, you know, arrest Breonna Taylor's murderers that whole thing. And it really did like feel like commodifying her death Mm -hmm. to, in order to like, in order to get a point across. And it was very, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that whole situation? Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. I mean, and it it didn't sit, it still doesn't sit right with me. And also like the selling Mm -hmm. of t-shirts and like celebrities wearing t-shirts with like Brianna Taylor's face on it. Like there's something so like, that's, so loaded you know yeah and I just I think of like again how like proximity to blackness is being used for liberalism to validate this like false solidarity but it's like we there's something beyond that and like we have to get past signaling you know like it can't be enough to just put a sign in your yard I think about one of my one of my friends is like you know if, if my black lives my black life matters if I like need to use your phone in the middle of the night like are you gonna let me in your house like that's yeah the realized question that didn't happen it's not that where was that story about that um I don't know if it was a teenage boy but he was like a maybe like a younger uh black dude and he was like going from door to door after a car accident trying to get help from the neighbors yeah, yeah. and um I, I just scrolled that headline but I was like it, I didn't have a chance to like read the whole story so I'm not sure exactly what happened to him I see you see stories like that all the time where people are like bleeding Mm -hmm. out and stuff and it's like oh nobody helped them and it's like um so obviously it's not like and i you know i say this as someone who is wearing a black lives matter shirt right now like i'm very aware of the irony of that um this was (laughs) this was given to me that's why i feel okay wearing it i'm not judging i I was like it would be funny if i put out a youtube clip and it's like is she wearing a black lives matter shirt it's like i swear someone Ben's sister-in-law gave it to me and it was very sweet of her. And I was like, that's, that's very sweet. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but it's like, it's like, it, it's one thing to like share these, um, these signifiers in a community of people who are like affirming it. Right. Yeah. And then it's a whole nother thing, like to use them, like you said, Rara, like you said, Amber, as like ways to absolve your, your liberal guilt, but also ways to like signal that you are that you are like part of a community that you actually don't belong to. Um, Like I'm thinking about how in the summer during the uprisings, a bunch of like businesses boarded up and then put black lives matter on their, um, Mm -hmm. on their business, on the plywood to say like, please don't hurt my business. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But it wasn't yeah. about actually supporting people. It was about like, don't hurt my protecting business. property. Exactly. Yeah. Which is yeah. which many of these businesses are, you know, going back to like talking about gentrification. These are businesses that have displaced other community businesses or community like housing or community, you know, because we do know that a lot of areas of color across the nation are always zone mixed use. So that's mm-hmm. what happens. You know, there's a home and then it turns into a restaurant and then it turns right. into, you know what I mean? It's like I think that's a a good flag like to to be like look like there's a difference when you're when you're about it and like you're mm-hmm. in the community versus like when you're trying to use the the community's signs and signifiers to like to get off scot free or something you know Yeah exactly exactly and that's what keeps happening it's just I want to like get to a place where it's like <laughs> and I don't know how exactly but like the posturing is no longer rewarded because that's mm-hmm. why liberals participate in it is that they know that they get like this clout amongst their own friend groups or amongst their own neighborhoods that it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you, you did that. Like, <laughs> you're so cool. You're so down. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like- yeah. I, and I think like the, the media frenzy around black lives matter and um the way opportunists have latched on to it as a way to kind of enhance their brand and mm-hmm. um and and like people becoming celebrity activists basically you know over the course of like a couple years or just sometimes within a couple months and then kind of co-opting uh the language of the movement but running kind of running kind of counter to what is being desired on the street and demanded on the street. Right. I'm just thinking about the recent like controversies with like Sean King and his organization and his affiliates about how the parents of several people, you know, several black men who were murdered are saying that, that these celebrity organizers have like misled people into, you know, how much money they actually gave to the family. They've used their kids' names without permission and been really insensitive about it and are like basically profiting off of like black death. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you feel comfortable, if you want to talk about this or not, um, if if you had any thoughts about that as it relates to kind of like not only just gentrification of neighborhoods, but gentrification of movements. Mm, that's such a good question. Gentrification of movements. Wow. Mm-hmm. I haven't even thought about that as a term, but I'm so interested in talking about that. I've kind of like loosely been following the Sean King news uh, because every time I find out more, it pisses me off so much. <laughs> yeah. It's so ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. but I, I did see that he's like going to have a talk with Dr. Joy James and uh, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and mm-hmm. some other people to talk through what's been going on. Um, so I think that that's good that they're willing to like come to the table and say, okay, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about it. But I was just telling one of my friends earlier, like I feel like my response to, so election week, election week uh, last year, November, 2020 was so strange for so many reasons. Like that week felt like a fucking fever dream because, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. because you know, like everybody was expecting to have the results that night. Yeah. Everybody was getting fucked up because we thought that Trump was going <laughs> to get reelected. And then yeah. the results dragged out for like four fucking days. It was the strangest week of my life, I feel like. And Everyone then, like, was so nervous. We were all yeah. like looking at each other like, is something about this going to happen? Or... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> and then, you know, the the results came in and Biden won and then seeing people like out in the streets. And then <laughs> that night, like watching his like acceptance speech or whatever and seeing Kamala's speech after, it felt so jarring to me. And I bring that up because I feel like I've been telling people that week was like so pivotal Mm -hmm. in terms of like where we're at with liberalism. I feel like we're gonna, we're getting to a point to, and I could be being hyperbolic right now. So I don't wanna say, I don't wanna speak definitively. We love, hyperbole is hot bullshit, that's okay. Hyperbole. Yeah, but I feel like we're getting to a point where it's going to be like in an unprecedented way, it's going to be so hard to detach race and class. You know what I'm saying? Like black people can no longer in this current moment, in this year, 2021, of where we're at in liberalism and where, yeah, after the past year that's happened, we can no longer like view black people as a monolith because they're like, Black liberals are gaining more and more power and they're committed to their class position overall, like over everything, they are committed to their class position. And Kamala Harris exemplifies that, Mm -hmm. you know, like she embodies that she's (laughs) her career embodies that she has been more committed to maintaining her status, Mm -hmm. like her, her class status than being in solidarity with black people. I just think we're getting to a point where like culturally, like even like regardless of politics, like it can't be denied that we're not all on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think about I, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, that that's okay. Do you want to go? No, I'm trying to find this picture of um of Kamala Harris's Vanity Fair cover where it was like, I think it might have been fake or something, but it said like how through backdoor deals she became VP without winning a single vote. And I'm like, Damn. I don't know if that was a fake cover. Oh no, it's a real cover. Is it? <gasps> No. Wait. Okay. Is it Vogue? I mean, you go ahead and make your point. I'm gonna do some investigating. I, <laughs> okay. I, it might have been a meme. If it was a meme, it was a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So just thinking about race and class, right? Like, you know, that's something I think about a lot. Um. Especially from the lens of Latinidad, which you also mm-hmm. share, Afro Latina. I think about the. I would say, and, and so like, I'm a, actually a proponent of the fracturing of Latinidad because I think yes. it's like, I think it's super necessary, but it's also like what we're seeing in, in alongside the fracturing of Latinidad is like, you're seeing like white Latine, Latinx people, but you're also seeing the whiteification of mm. like historically non-white people. Like, for example, um, in California, you see the whiteification of like Mexicans. Right, like Ooh, who have been yeah. here for a while, generationally state uh, like citizens who are of a certain class status, and thus, you know, granted certain privileges that are typically and historically aligned with whiteness. Right, mm-hmm. like, and that's not, and especially now as like the demographics of of the you know the immigrants at our southern border are changing. It's not just excuse me, the circular migration of like Mexicanos. It's it's Central Americans. It's South Americans. Right. It's it's 
African and Haitian black immigrants, right? Like, so that whiteification is getting turned up like extra, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and that permeability, right? Like, and I think one of the best examples, not, we don't have to talk about this, um, if it's like too far in the weeds, but I'm thinking a lot about how libs were like, like my ending migrant protection protocols was so great. And now like Biden's actually making a functioning border. But like, (sighs) if you go down to Tijuana right now, what you're going to see at the southern border is dozens and dozens of black migrants being turned away, systematically turned away. And if you look at the detention centers across the southern border region um, for for migrants, you're going to see African migrants Mm -hmm. with the highest bail schedules not being able to get out. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I think I think it's like super critical that we're infusing a class narrative when we're looking at race. It's not enough, especially right. especially at that intersection of mestizaje and 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 like the tacit like immigrant is always colored brown, right? Like it's always colored like Mexican or or Latin American and that is not correct anymore. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because, you know, um my ex stepfather, um, mm-hmm. he was a Mexican immigrant, and he was very much along, like along those lines of like, well, I did it the right way. Why can't they? And like that attitude really always shocked me because he was really, um, you know, growing up on Guam, he was like the only Mexican immigrant I knew. You know, we don't mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of Mexican immigrants. We have a lot of um, uh, Filipino immigrants and mm-hmm. outer Micronesian Islanders and you know Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. But when he like said that, I was just always really really shocked that that was like an attitude out there. And I thought he was in the minority with that, but having lived in Florida and now Atlanta, I run, I run into conservatives of every race and ethnicity and nationality. It's, it's very, and what they all have in common is they are all protecting their class interests. It it, it is the defining feature of a a non-white conservative. I feel like, you know, in a certain tax bracket, it's like, that is like a conservative voter. I want to say, um, it's such a weird like thing, but it's like, they have all the class like solidarity, we can't even get poor people to agree that poor people deserve better. <laughs> like it's yeah. fucked up, right? Like, right. yeah, super fucked. Um, so going back a little bit to thinking about gentrification or you know, quote unquote revitalization, historically, and when I say historically, I mean like the '80s and '90s. There were these really robust anti-gentrification movements. Um, and you saw it in New York, and you saw it in San Francisco, and you saw it, you know, in big cities. And, and gentrification was hyper hyper localized in those times, right? But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Amber, what are you seeing now in terms of like any anti gentrification movements? If if they exist, what what are kind of trends and themes that you're noticing in terms of like resisting this you know this monster? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and also just for background, like I just want to say that like I don't hold any type of like expertise in this topic so I just want to like put that out there for listeners um I mean but but you do like like (laughs) you're a this this may not be your like academic field but you're like a a person of a certain academic rigor that has decided to look at this and I think that that's that's valuable so like don't sell that short 
I mean, the thing, yeah, like I, when I was reading, when I was reading Curated Tolerance, I was like, I've got to send this to everyone because this is capturing just so much of what I wanted to say about like gentrification. And so much, and and it's so funny because right before I read this article, you know, I had been kind of commuting to a, um, a, like a gentrified neighborhood, just like a couple of miles uh, west of me. And I was having all these same like thoughts about Mm -hmm. just how sterile it was, how alienating, how the minimalist aesthetic is come just completely turned towards that like like contemporary art gallery feel of just a big empty space and just like really lamenting it and feeling really upset by it. And so when I read that, it was like, wow, it was like, yeah, it really illuminated a lot of things. So Thank anyway, you. I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the gas. Yeah, <laughs> you deserve it. Yeah, yeah I think I, you're, you're on to something is what we're saying. <laughs> I just struggle. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I second guess myself. But yeah, I think a common trend uh, when in North Carolina, I was like a, a little bit tapped into some anti-gentrification work that's going on there. And I recently moved to Minneapolis and I'm like slowly kind of entering this space because like I know that people here that are from here went through a lot last summer. So I don't just want to be like, hey, what can I do? You know, (laughs) and like take up a lot of space in that. I'm trying to like enter respectfully. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think generally from what I've seen from a distance, there's been a lot of like direct confrontations with the physical space and I think that that plays out definitely like I said with like street art such as like graffiti and wheat pasting banner drops um just like interacting with this environment that's like directly defying in a blatant ass way like Mm -hmm. nobody's fucking with this Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I know at the beginning of the pandemic back in March there was like talks of like nationwide brunch strikes. And I think that though that didn't happen to like the initial way I think a lot of people thought it would, I feel like the pandemic has like forced people to really consider like tenant organizing in a in a more urgent manner than probably yeah. like people were. Uh, I don't I feel like it just forced the process a little bit, which I think yeah. is always a good thing. Yeah. There's a bit of a learning curve as with all things and right. it can be scary. I think it's, I think uh, tenant organizing is particularly pretty terrifying because it it's where you live. It's not something yes. like, you know, like mm-hmm. we can be out there in the streets at a black lives matter March, but like ultimately it's, we're not waging the fight in our own front yard necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's, <laughs> it's a bit different dynamic. So yeah, yeah it's very personal. I think also as well, I just feel like everything that's happened within the past year just should have, I suspect, highlighted for a lot of people the necessity and just like really knowing who you live near. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> for multiple reasons. Like it's such, we we just have to rely on each other in ways that like are, are again, like unprecedented. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, there's there's so much opportunity in that as well for like what what can happen in the future after we like truly get to know one another in this way. Yeah, it is really interesting seeing people actually engage with their neighborhoods because so much of American life is so atomized and just we're all mm-hmm. so like <laughs> it it's all designed that way too. I yeah. mean, you know, we don't have good public transportation systems, so we're all mm-hmm. in our stupid little cars in the morning going to work. 
And then we're all in our stupid little offices or now we're like working at home, which is more alienated. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, we're so alienated from each other. And I think in the past year, people have kind of, I've been calling it like analog living. And it's like, no, (laughs) it's like literally like going outside and being like, Hey, I don't know my next door neighbor. Like I'm going to get to know my next door neighbor. And just like trusting that, you know, you know, it's a, it's a good move. It's just good to know who you live around. Um, Exactly. It's like a way to fight that alienation. Yeah. Yeah. And is to build solidarity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you you gotta do it. And it's I think it's particularly hard, especially now. Uh and I that is definitely a feature of capitalism and and the hegemony, but it's also representative of the like material conditions that we're in, you know, with like COVID and everything. And but I think like it's it's so necessary. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw so many people moved to action this summer was mm-hmm. because you know people are at a breaking point like right yeah and especially I think, young oh, people yeah yeah and i think part of that too is like i guess when you when you actually build that solidarity people can feel more comfortable saying like hey i need you to show up for me in this way mm-hmm. on this day in this specific moment and yeah here's how, you know as opposed to like and this is what like I think is uh, exemplified in liberalism. And like, we're talking about like the Black Lives Matter signs, like there's no accountability in that process. So you mm-hmm. can't say that you're like in solidarity with somebody if you don't even talk to black people. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that's just like, yeah, how, absolutely. how do you show up beyond a sign, you know? Yeah. Who do you know that can call on you if they, yeah. if they need you for anything? Right. Yeah. Definitely. I think that also speaks a lot to like uh, the that curated tolerance that you're talking about. It's like the, I think that kind of is attached to that sense of like, I'm not going to talk to my neighbors. I don't need to talk to my neighbors. Like, what if they're weird? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to have to deal with a weird person for the whole time I'm living here. So I'm just not going to talk to them at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like this total like unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Yes. Like, <laughs> Yes. You know, it, uh, it's such a yes. feature of gentrification. It's yeah. just like anything that makes me uncomfortable is bad and I don't want it. Yes, you know, exactly. it's like it, it speaks to like a disposability, right? Like the architecture is uniform and easily disposable. They can tear it down and put something else in. The community is treated as disposable, like the pre existing yeah. community. And we ourselves are treated as disposable. And you can't build a movement on shit you plan on throwing away. Right. Um, Right. You know, that's a fucking put that on a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> Hot girl merch. <laughs> wait, wait, what was it? You can't build a movement on shit you plan on throwing away. Damn. Yes. <laughs> and it's got a little like it's got a, like a little trash bag like embroidered onto it. Yes. I don't know. Perfect. The vibe's so good right now that I'm just I'm just <laughs> I love it. I'm drinking my three dollar Aldi wine, and man, it's hitting. Yo, (laughs) yo, you know what? Someone (laughs) told me. I think Amber. I think it was Tom Sexton who told me this, but that Aldi. I don't know how long ago, but like Aldi had like a wine that was actually it was like three bucks, but it was like actually like a really fancy vintage or something and it was actually worth like 50 bucks or yeah yeah like you had some secret wine all these always comes through i know oh my god i'm obsessed with them i'm thinking about dedicating my entire tiktok to all these wine (laughs) yes just go through the aisle the one aisle with all the random shit like um what what do they call it it has a name 
Um, it's like deals of the week or something. Yeah, I was and there it always earlier. changes. <laughs> I love it. Always changes. So yeah, you can get um, like a blanket or like a hot pot or like. Oh a- no, they okay. So the deal they had, they had this like it's like a dark chocolate dipped mango pieces, and I was like, Ooh. it was like three ninety nine, and I was like, I'm really against spending that much on candy, but like that sounds amazing. And it's fruit. I, it's fruit. Yeah, it's fruit. Yeah, um, <laughs> and one piece is twenty percent of my sugar intake for the day. So, <laughs> but I we bought it, and like so, I was biting into it, and I thought it was gonna be like a soft chocolate you know, like a soft chocolate, soft mango. It was like, it was like a hard candy chocolate shell around a mango strip, like a dried mango strip. And I was like, damn, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I love Aldi because it's like, it, that is a curated experience, by the way. Like, <laughs> not in a bad way at all, in like a really good yeah. way. It's like, we have these brands and these brands, bitch. Like, that's yeah. all you can have. <laughs> you don't like it. So true. It's off. Like, <laughs> Like, this is our this is our town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you decide your experience here. <laughs> but I got I love getting the cheeses there. The cheeses there are always so fucking weird. I got an Irish cheddar made with Irish beer. That's the one I got today. Beer it's like a cheddar. Little, beer cheddar, yeah. And then b- before I got a like a gin rhubarb one. What? It was so weird. It was so weird. Was I had to throw it away. It was no, pretty, okay. it was like good in a, like a it was good in like a novelty sense and I got halfway through the block and I was like I just don't need this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't need yeah. this flavor this combination of flavors anymore. Um, they've always got the weirdest cheese. fucking cheese. The weirdest cheese. Wild. We love you Aldi. Sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aldi Jenner Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> And they're opening up a lit a little near where I live. Oh my god, ah. it's like a little mini Aldi base. It's like the same company that owns Aldi, so it's like the same concept. And I guess it's just like a smaller grocery store. I'm like, yay, no more food <laughs> desert. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also like, oh no, does this mean more luxury apartments? Fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another so- thing that always made me mad. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. But go like. For it. I hate when I see like Mercedes Benz pull up to like the Aldi's. I'm like, oh, hell y'all no. can go to Whole Foods. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah get out of here. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be shopping at Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> For real, though. I think, you know, what's so there's a um, San Diego. Um, I just, this made me think of that. Um, San Diego is a like, it's a pretty segregated, like wildly segregated county. Um, and I'm, I'm sure like y'all can relate um, where y'all have lived or been. But um, in San Diego, um, the demographics are like uh, pre um, like because we're near the border, there's just a lot of like Latino people, Latini, Latina people, Latinx people. And then there's also, um, you know, there's uh, a lot of white people here because we're by the beach. Right. Um, I think mm-hmm. our our community is about 13% like overall is about 13% black, which is really small, like super small. Right. And most of the the black folks in our community live in an area um, called Southeast is known as Southeast. Um, it's kind of like in literal the Southeast corner of the County of San Diego County. It's an area that up until till recently has been like super ignored as most, you know, working class black areas are like, 
you know, it was a food desert. It was a, it was, you know, like really displaced. It was, it was red, uh, lined the fuck out by like a bunch of freeways, like super hard to get to, super hard to get out of if you don't have a car, right? Yeah. It didn't have a grocery store and some, some nonprofit put a bunch of money into building or like a philanthropic nonprofit put a bunch of money into building like a shopping center and it would be the first shopping center Southeast has had. And they were trying to get a grocery store to come in and like no fucking grocery store would do it. Like none of them would do it. None of the big ones. Like, you know, they were just like, no, no, it's not worth it to us, which is like wild. So then food for less was like, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll come in and do it. And so they, they built the food for less there consistently since they built that i think it was like 10 years ago now um it's consistently performed like the best out of any grocery store in the county like wow you know because it's because it's the only one there right and um like it basically was like making tons of money because it's the only one there but like the anti-blackness of uh you know like all of these companies being like, no, we don't want to move into the black area is mm-hmm. was just so blatant. And now, you know, now the area is being threatened by gentrification in a very real way because it's, you know, it's relatively affordable homes as the as the community ages out like and, and dies, like people are buying up those homes and flipping them like white people mm-hmm. are buying up those mm-hmm. homes and flipping them. And so like once again, like <sighs> folks are being like displaced and moved out. Yeah. I don't know. It just made me think of that. Yeah, and that's like, that makes me think of what we were talking about earlier, just like this space of being in. And I, whenever I learn more or read stuff about redlining and then like mm-hmm. like the exodus of cities like in the early 60s and, and then just like looking at the inverse of that happening now, it's so wild to exist. Like, again, <laughs> just in this space of like subjugation and objectification at the same time it's like it's so wild like people want to be away from black people and want nothing to do with blackness but then like benefit from proximity to blackness at the same Mm -hmm. time yeah there's like so much mental gymnastics that has to happen to like not see that or ignore it and proceed anyway yeah absolutely Absolutely. So, so what can we do, you know, as, as anti-capitalists, as socialists, as communists, as anarchists or whatever, what can we do to aid in anti-gentrification efforts? Like if you were to point somebody to any like one resource to just start your journey on this, where would you point them to? Uh, That's a good question. I'm going to have to well, obviously, read this essay, which we will link to yeah. on our Twitter, like, because it is so good. Yeah. And I would also um, thank you for that plug. <laughs> yeah, I agree. People should read it. Uh, <laughs> I think um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, it took me a while to write, but mm-hmm. I feel like it came out the way I wanted it to. Um mm. And also, uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor's book, Race for Profit, is mm. um, a really good starting point. And she talks about, like, the history of redlining as well and kind of what I'm talking mm-hmm. about of, like, this, like, game of proximity but also disposal that's been consistently playing out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's also been helpful for me to learn about and, and talk about as well is really how, you know, there's never been a break, like, Yes, the the aesthetic of it has changed over the years, but there's been this consistent like purging that's been exist like in existence since like the 60s. 
there's been like there's never uh, been a cause of it happening it always mm -hmm. has been yeah but it's important to pay attention to the way it's taking form now and in terms of like this sterilization that's happening and yeah. really think about like what are the implications of that and then how can i be in solidarity and in community with people that i know like the by virtue of the julia existing <laughs> <laughs> There, that the means goddamn Julia. That means goddamn that Julia. There's a, <laughs> there's a whole community I that was inevitably displaced by it existing. So how can I tap in? How can I find those people? How can I reach out and be in solidarity with like what they need? And also, I mean, another another major signifier as well of, of this happening is like um, homeless encampments. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if y'all saw that the news, but like I think it was two weeks ago, Minneapolis police like just randomly on a Monday morning decided to disrupt like this homeless encampment in Minneapolis and violently <sighs> kick people out of tents. Yeah. There's like people that are visibly visibly vulnerable and like need immediate mm -hmm. assistance and yeah. um yeah, just finding ways to support them in ways that you can. It's yeah. Really important. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. We talked about concepts today that I feel like are going to really ring true with a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm really just excited to share this episode with everybody. But I did want to do like one more thing before yeah. we go. Yeah. Because we talked a lot about some very serious issues. So I just wanted to do some like very random femme icebreaker questions. Yeah. They're very silly. <laughs> And I want to develop this for like every guest, but I'm just going to uh, test it on you. Okay, okay. So question number one, <laughs> question number one, what's your favorite beauty product right now? Ooh, okay. Um, I love Fenty foundation and Fenty primer. <laughs> Me too. Yes. I have so much Fenty shit. Oh my God. I'm wearing Fenty right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I got and the I, primer. I got the concealer. I got the highlighter. I got the foundation. I love that Fenty girls. Yes, <laughs> so good. Fenty you Fenty. heard it here. It's like, <laughs> man, when I want a full cover foundation, I'm like I feel like shit right now. Like I got to cover everything. It's yeah. just like, mm -hmm. like, and also I would say second place, um, Glossier, Glossier's um, lipstick, mm -hmm. uh, Generation G. Yes. Yeah, I, I love them. Me too. I love <laughs> so yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Good shit. I can't. I my lips are getting like dry as I age or something. It's like some horrible thing that's happening to me lately. Um, <laughs> and it also might be because like I'm on Ritalin now, so I just need to drink more water or something. But like my lips get really dry, so all I've been using is fucking like literally like that two thousands like lip gloss that you just like slathered on your lips. It's like a lip mask from Tarte. And it's oh. just like strawberry lip gloss. And it's like, I have to use that like three times a day because my lips get so fucking dry. But I, that's I love the clear gloss. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's got like, a, um, I can't reach it. I cannot reach it from here. But um, it's, it's just like a tube of lip gloss basically, but it's strawberry flavored. So it mm. is like that little girl, like, you know, lip gloss that you would find in like Kmart or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. also has a really nice uh, high shine uh, lip gloss 
um, that I, I really like it. Sometimes I'll do the Generation G, which is a little drier, and then I'll throw the lip gloss on top just to give it that, mm. like, 90s, like, shine, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then I'll be nice. like, yeah. <laughs> I recently got – okay, I'm going to, like, share some, like, really um, shameful uh, splurge that I made. Hang on. <laughs> so I was, like, really depressed the other day. <laughs> other week and I was like I saw this collection on ColourPop and it's a collaboration between ColourPop and Animal Crossing oh and, what? and the whole co and ColourPop is like notoriously like inexpensive and they were doing like the individual stuff but then they were doing the whole collection for like $125 and I was like um I'm gonna do it I never spend that much on makeup at one time and I was like I'm gonna fucking do it so That's I got the horrible. whole collection <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh my god it's so cute yeah you're really cute look at that um there's like there's like six different lip glosses <gasps> look at the wow. little trees for the fruit yeah and, and they're all like this to my sister she's a big and they're person. all um and, yeah this and they're all like animal crossing podcast <laughs> yeah. like, we love that shit here the I shades look them. really cute too um they're little like um tinted lip lippy thing um oh is like really moisturizing it's really nice so yeah. i've been using that when i've just been like swiping on the go and just like i like that swiping on leaving. the go but yeah i never spend this much money on myself at once and i was it was like a real depression buy and when i got here i was like maybe money is the answer to, <laughs> to my depression <laughs> <laughs> and then like and then like two days later i felt like empty inside again so i was like no that's not it <laughs> this is too relatable <laughs> i was like no that's not it back to organizing yeah fuck <laughs> but that's a lot of uh products for that's a good yeah. deal yeah yeah it's a super good deal and i've been like really hesitant because you know how left twitter is everyone can be so judgmental and shit and it's just like <laughs> I'm really hesitant to even post that I like spent that much money. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but all this makeup. <laughs> but oh, um, it's gonna look so good though. Yeah, I, I haven't even used it because I'm being such a little like little weirdo about it. I'm like, no, I have to give it for a special <laughs> occasion. And like it's like I know you don't deserve to use it yet. Like you bought it, but you can't use it yet. You have to earn it. Like <laughs> stupid. That was a fun question. All right, we're yeah. keeping that one. That's a good one. Um, that was good. Okay, this one's a little bit more like stereotypical. Um, if you could have lunch with any person from history, who would it be? Oh my god, <laughs> Tony Morrison. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> where would you go for lunch? Anywhere she wanted. <laughs> I feel like that's way more important, right? Like that could turn like that could turn like a cool like a cool talk and hang out into a bad one, like really frustrating <laughs> if you choose the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> Yesy, where would you take your historical figure? Um I oh man, this is a this is a good question and I was not prepared. Um okay. I would take Lucy Parsons mm -hmm. to get uh mariscos in Tijuana. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Because yeah, so I did all this research on Lucy Parsons years ago. Um yeah, for, for some for some show. And then what I found was that she's also Afro-Latina, she's Mexican and, and Black. And one of the things that was in the historical documents was that she never, she had family on, on the other side of the border, but couldn't 
cross because there was something something wrong with both like something that prevented her like the state was preventing her from like kind of seeing that family so that'd be kind of fun mm, yeah, yeah that's amazing i would yeah. want to join that yeah <laughs> but yeah because my are so good anyway too like yeah. so even if, if she ended up being weird it would still be fun what about you rara Okay, um, I actually didn't think about the answer to this, but I just figured out the perfect the perfect friend date would be me and Frida Kahlo go and get Thai food somewhere. Ooh, that'd be a fun one. Yeah, and then we would just talk about all the we'd talk about all like the communist boys we fucked and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, like just hot girl shit, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's my that's my hipster answer, I guess. God, I don't know if I want to know about the the Trotsky D though. I don't know. I don't know if I could uh could handle it. I don't know because like, what if it was really good, right? Like- yeah, yeah. Like, fuck. Man, people Damn. are gonna be really hating on this episode. Like, oh, yeah, they'd be like, "What are they talking about?" I wonder if there's historical account of that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's got to be like some hint or something in like one of her paintings that's supposed to be like. Or maybe, maybe it was so good that's why like she didn't talk about it because that's like <laughs> that should just laid her out and she just like was like I can't tell anyone because I, I'm just like I can't believe I had good sex with. That's how I feel whenever I like fuck libertarians. So you know. <laughs> I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have enjoyed that as much as I did. (laughs) I just want to remind everyone I've been in a relationship for almost three years. This is is the old me talking. (laughs) Uh, Amber, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you you hanging out. Are there any more questions? I was enjoying this. (laughs) Oh, I I don't know. Oh, hang on. Um, Oh, okay. I wanted to, okay. I did want to just end on this one. Um, What's your favorite piece of media right now? Like a TV show or a movie or a podcast that you're just like in love with? Um, Well, I would say most recently, like I I mentioned to y'all before, but Mm -hmm. I uh, revisited Living Single. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like basically all of, uh, January and February and it was just <laughs> was so good I feel like it momentarily like cured my depression <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I and I've just generally been revisiting a lot of 90s uh, black sitcoms and yeah just hell yeah peak escapism definitely recommend <laughs> I, I still love Fresh Prince because it was one of the few, it was on one of the few channels we had on my TV in our room as a kid. It was like on some like obscure, like some weird channel. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, for some reason we had it on our like 13 channel television. And whenever it came on, we were like, oh, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, instant joy. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. <laughs> And the outfits, like seeing outfits in 90s television is just, I live for it. (laughs) I think that's why, I think that's why I really like Bruno Mars is because I saw him in that finesse music video (laughs) and I was like, this is peak how all men should look at all times. Like it is so cute. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, wow, remember how cute Will Smith was too? Like, damn. Totally. (laughs) 
the bar is Will Smith in Fresh yeah. Prince. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Yesi, what else are you, what are you watching right now? I am watching, well, I'm watching Voyage, Star Trek Voyager, which I right. read about a lot. And then I am also watching Bridgerton. Yes. Um, same. And then I'm watching my bullshit uh, gentrifier with a smile shows. <laughs> So, <laughs> marriage so. or mortgage <laughs> i need to watch that one still actually what, wait what is that one um it's if you choose the perfect wedding day or a down payment on a house of your oh, dreams damn that's a real thing and people are picking the marriage people are picking what? the wedding day why for a parent I, I don't know I, i'm gonna investigate this though for an episode because it Which sounds you know, in the back part of your new this house. is on netflix on oh Netflix. My Damn. On my I list. hate it here. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate it here. Why? I hate it here too. But I'm going to watch that shit. I'm going to like, phew, I'm going to hate watch this so bad. <laughs> I'm going to join in on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but what else am I, what am I unironically watching? Oh, you know what's really spooky is I got this like inkling. I just I got this hankering for like rewatching Archer for some reason. Mm. And I was like, was Archer really as funny as everyone remembers? And I watched it and I was like, this is really fucking funny. Um, yeah. And and then like two days later, as I'm like rewatching like season one of Archer, um, Jessica Walter dies. Yeah. And I was just like, weird. <laughs> like, RIP. RIP to the You're only so good wasp. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, she was she was a real one. She was funny. It's amazing how many people I've met like her in my life. <laughs> like yeah. rich, rich white ladies in Atlanta. They're fucking scary, dude. I used to work at a hair salon as a receptionist in Midtown, mm -hmm. if that gives you any indication of the clientele. And oh my God, they're terrifying. They're terrifying. I'm de it's definitely why I developed like a fucking uh, anxiety disorder from working there. Mm. <laughs> God, I bet. <laughs> You're um, entitled to compensation. <laughs> yeah, I'm making it sound way more. Serious. I'm fine now. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it now, everybody. By the way, <laughs> that is no. That's no. I have, I have a more. I have a more dignified profession now. As in, I am a stripper, and yes, that is definitely more dignified position yeah. than, a, than a fucking receptionist at a high end hair salon. That shit sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Get that money. <laughs> I tr I'm trying, dude. It's so hard. <laughs> it's hard in these streets. <sighs> Strip club customer. I could do a whole episode on like the crazy, um, like disturbed people I've had to talk to lately. Co a, lot of <laughs> a lot of COVID deniers. Love. Uh, they oh, love our club. They freaking love our club for some reason. And mm. one guy who thinks he's going to uh, be in a civil war because Biden's president, um, oh, you know, just a, a bunch of land, a lot of landlords, um, you know, a lot of like mm. people that don't make $15 an hour saying that, uh, you know, people that work at McDonald's don't have to make $15 an hour. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like, you know, I just a know. normal, normal dudes. <laughs> I'm I'm sure we'll get into this uh one one day, but like yeah. thinking about like my clientele back when I was um in the industry, um doing erotic massage, I don't know if I could handle it now. I don't think I can. I think I, I've gone soft. Like I've, I've become much less tolerant of 
all of these people. And it's a hundred percent because like all this COVID anxiety has made me it, it has made it abundantly clear um mm. what people actually care about. And mm. for the most part, it's not about anybody but them fucking selves. Mm. And all of those people love going to the strip clubs. <laughs> it's mm. like, yeah, it's a it's a whole fucking thing. But anyway, I still it's still light years better than what I was doing before. <laughs> I'm still all right. <laughs> uh, anyway, I didn't mean to hijack the whole end no. of the episode with sad stripper stuff. No. But... <laughs> it's interesting. You should definitely do an episode. I'd be interested in listening. Yeah. To your um, what I should have is have Simone on, who Simone is a dance. Uh, Simone is an escort up in Seattle who I used to date when she was in Atlanta um, very mm -hmm. briefly. We dated very briefly and, and then uh, became friends again like uh, last year. And she that. worked in she worked in the club that I work in now. Oh, really? Six like six months before I started working at that strip club. Mm -hmm. So we've dated. We've lived in the same city. We've dated. <laughs> we worked at the same club. And now we're both in the like online content st and stuff. And that's how we reconnected. So it's like, if this that's isn't so like, cool. if this isn't, isn't the fucking uh, queer community, like, <laughs> yeah, in Atlanta, <laughs> if that's not representative of it. I don't know what is. Uh, but we have, but but uh, she was doing the five to nine podcast within a podcast where we were talking about sex work stuff, and um, mm -hmm. we got to get her back on. She's like on the road right now. She's on this like epic journey, um, making content all across the West Coast and stuff. Um, Hell yeah! But we're gonna get in touch with her again and have an episode and talk about that kind of stuff because that'll yeah. that'll be really fun. Yes, yeah, yeah. you're gonna you're you're yeah. gonna both love each other. I'm so excited. To I, can't wait. I can't wait. I love this podcast. It's about connecting people and. Amber, we're so happy that we connected with you. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. It was so yeah. awesome. Like, Thank I'm really you excited guys about this so one. much. I enjoyed it so much. And yeah, it's so nice to meet you all. And I hope that I can, I mean, one day we can all meet in person. Hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll yeah. go blow up the belt line together. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Satire, parody. Satire. Not real. Not real. Um, Amber, do you want to plug anything? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, the Curio Tolerance account, like I said, uh, has been a little dead lately. Mm -hmm. But um, That's the Instagram? Yeah, yeah. Well, you heard um, her. Everyone listening, go submit something about your gentrified please, neighborhood there. Please, please do. Um, I'm hoping to get it like more on and pop in the next month. So yeah, you can follow the Instagram account. It's at Curated Tolerance, all together, no underscores. And then if you'd like to follow me on social media, <laughs> um, my IG and Twitter are both at Drupla, D-R-O-O-P-L-A. Uh, oh, and also I have like a small podcast that I recently started uh, called Pay Me, Cite Me. And it's yes. at Pay Me, Cite Me. <laughs> Cool, um, cool. Yeah, that's everything. But thank you all again so much. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for inviting me. Truly yeah, honored. <laughs> absolutely. It was our pleasure. All right, thank you. That has been another episode of Hot Girl Agenda. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.